lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. We are cranking our way through season one. We're doing episode by episode rewatch of Apple Plus TV series Ted Lasso. We are on episode six, Two Aces. This title actually made sense to me this week. Not like Tan Lines. Last week, Tan Lines was very odd. Two Aces makes a lot of sense to me, Spencer. What did you think first about the title of the episode, but also the episode itself? Title, I'm very much appreciated this title as compared to last time, though both are just quotes from the episode. Two Aces actually makes sense yep. for where this episode is going. The subject of the plot, one of the key themes. It's relevance in a way that Tan Lines feel much more tangential. As for the episode itself... Man, does this episode hit you coming and going. Of where it's got some great, heartwarming, high moments, some honest-to-God tearjerkers, and then ends making you as depressed as the characters end up as well. Yeah, it shows Ted's skill. It also is the you-wouldn't-like-me-when-I'm-angry Ted episode. I mean, Ted gets fired up. Matter of fact, you called that last episode because he had a moment with Jamie where he's about to explode Mm. and his kid ran in the room and you were like, you were about to see a different side of Ted. We hadn't seen it at that point. This episode, we definitely get it. Two big blow-ups from Ted. Uh, But yeah, we'll get into all that and more. If you've ever listened to us here at the Lasso Lowdown, you know we have segments. Segments galore. We we start with Biscuits with the Boss. Spencer usually brings a dessert to the podcast. Then I do Tea Time with Lee, where I try to convince our American audience that unlike uh, what Ted Lasso thinks, tea, hot tea, is not so bad. Then we go into a recap with Spencer. That's right. My man Spencer leads the recap. We do Sports Center Top 10, where we always have 10 exactly on the nose. 10 things that we noticed about the episode. We'll do train wreck of the episode. And then we finish up with Ted's life lessons of the episode, which are always heartfelt, upbeat, and not sarcastic in the least. So before we get to our segments, we will uh, talk a little housekeeping here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, the podcast continues to grow week over week. And I'm very appreciative of people listening now i realize this show obviously we realize the show's been out for a year so people are doing rewatches when they're they're listening to us spencer so we really much really really appreciate Mm -hmm. that but uh worry you not we will be with you week by week when ted lasso uh season two premieres on july 23rd so that's what we're driving towards we'll be with you uh week by week when it airs so please uh, if you're enjoying the podcast if you want to listen to season two please subscribe rate and review that stuff matters it's very helpful for us it continues to grow the listener base and if you want to listen to any of our other pods spencer and i are on a lot of other pods we talk about a lot of other television shows or just things life in general uh movies all kinds of stuff you can go to mangumtalks.com to check out our other podcast or go to your favorite podcast subscription uh service and just type in mangum talks and you will find all of our podcasts there but uh, that is it for Housekeeping Spencer. I think it is time to open up the episode, as we do every week here on the Lasso Lowdown, with Biscuits with the Boss. What do you have for us this week? Well, you know very well that I enjoy Costco, because it's one of those places <laughs> where you can go shopping there and then eat the exact same thing for three weeks, as things should be. Little known fact about Spencer, uh, when you go to Costco, there's one thing you have to do, right? Well, eat the hot dog. Eat the hot dog. <laughs> That's right, my man eats hot dog every time he goes. Of course. Sometimes more than one. I I find ways to wreck my days with the sheer amount of $1.50 hot dogs I can consume at Costco. But Biscuits of the Boss this time is not $1.50 hot dogs. It is the massive fuck-off muffins that Costco has that you can get in giant six-packs. I have here a poppy seed muffin. I'm very fond of poppy seed muffins. And I have already eaten a solid half of it and quite enjoying it i'm going to keep nibbling as we go through the episode so this is a bit of a hot take here but i appreciate what you did because you're you're a little bit crossing streams right most people think a muffin breakfast item um sometimes a standalone breakfast item people grab a muffin Mm. and run 
I think we need to consider muffins as a dual sort of threat here. Uh, it's two aces, yeah. if you would. <laughs> two aces. Oh, well said. For breakfast, well said, sir. you can have a muffin, but it's also very much a cake. So you can absolutely have it as a dessert. I think I, I co-sign that totally. Yeah, I, I think in many ways it's, it fills that role better than donuts do, because donuts were never really a great breakfast food. Mm. Donuts were, I'd like to take a nap at 11 o'clock breakfast food. No, donuts are... And you know, you know what kills me is the people who bring donuts to like just casual events. Like you're having a meeting. It's like, hey, I brought 12 donuts. Like, wait a second. That's not a casual food to be eating here in this meeting. I can't, I can't deal with it. Donuts, definitely a dessert item. Um, I will tell you what I have here as far as tea. Please. For the week. This is a little bit of a whoop swerve for you on Tea Time with Lee. And that is I'm actually doing a green tea this week. So people out there, if you like me, you've never been to, to London, you probably think or England, you probably think of British teas as the traditional hip black tea, strong mm-hmm. English breakfast, Earl Grey, that sort of thing, right? Sure. But what us Americans generally don't know is that tea time in, in Britain, which has been going on for the last about 150 years or so, very much included green teas. Um, mm. Back, you know, heading into the, the, the 20th century, uh, late 19th century when, when tea was really a huge, I mean, it's a big thing now in, in Great Britain, but it was massive then, especially among the upper, upper crust. Um, they had the green tea option. So green tea oh. is very much uh, traditional in, in British tea time. Uh, if you go to like, let's say, you know, you, Spencer, is going to be absolutely, you're going to have to really fantasize on this one. Let's say you blow money and you're going to a five-star resort can't, can't in London. No. Yeah, not, not even something you can imagine. And you have the upscale, upper crust British tea time. You'll have the option of green tea. So green tea is very much something that you can get in Great Britain. Um, which is something I've discovered through my research. And the green tea I have for you today is oolong tea. Spencer, you ever had oolong tea? Very classic. Very classy and classic. So uh, what you get with oolong tea is the tea leaves are um, beaten, dried, and twisted. So Mm. when you get, you pull the, the, the tea leaves out, you actually see like little curls of tea leaves. As opposed to just, you know, little cut up pieces. It actually has little curls on it. That's how you can tell it's oolong tea. It's very delicious. Uh, highly caffeinated, though, so watch out. Not as bad as last week when I just completely um, uh, oversteeped, I think you could call it my tea. This week, uh, it's perfectly steeped, but it's oolong tea, so it does have a little kick to it. You, you were visibly vibrating at times during the last episode from the sheer amount of caffeine that was rapidly coursing through you. Yeah, that was a bad move. Uh, I, yeah, I completely oversteeped it. But this week, I'm on I'm on par. Uh, Chinese oolong tea. It's very good. So there you go. Biscuits with the boss and tea time with Lee. Uh, Spencer, anything else you want to cover before you jump into the recap? I think now that we have our dessert, now that we have our tea, I think we are in the perfect comforting mood to proceed with the recap. Are you ready, sir? On with the recap. Episode six, Two Aces. We start with a very somber opening. We have the song we have song by Face on Film Sonnet playing. It's Ted alone in his room, slowly taking off his ring. Coming to terms as best as he can with the fact that his marriage is ending. He walks to work. He gets apparently almost as lost as I do walking to work. Um, arrives and Im- immediately decides, and immediately represents to both Nate and Beard, he's going to bury himself in his work. Bathe himself in work. Doesn't like bury. Right. And it's really rapidly apparent from his behavior that this is a guy that's got just so many emotions whirling inside him and he's trying to send them in any direction that's not focused inward right now. Yeah, particularly trying to put on a sweatshirt, which seems to be really (laughs) vexing him at this point. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. It represents many things. The sweatshirt is a metaphor, maybe. 
but it's something he works through. They get into a discussion about the subject of what things you like in your bath. Nate apparently likes nothing because he's very concerned about wrinkling and aging. Sure, okay. Beard in the way I believe likes honey crimble brulee in his bath. So sure that so works too. They're actually talking about a bath bomb. Yes. Do you know what a bath bomb is, Spencer? I, I have never used one, but I am aware of the concept. Okay, I was just yeah, it was kind of it could go either way with you. I didn't know if you, you knew what one was, but it's hilarious that Beard does the creme brulee honey. Single man that he is, probably not alone in those baths all the time. Got to enjoy himself. Nate, uh, Ted eventually heads off to, you know, be a coach and all things. Nate leans into Beardness. Is he all right? And Beard, in a way that only really close friends can ever do, just says, no, laughing as he says it. It's like, did you see what I just saw? No, he's not okay. What what a great Absolutely not. Loved it. We, we go through the intro and we find Ted at his first post-win press conference. Victory. It is very apparent that the mood of the press has changed remarkably since, say, the first time we saw him spit up carbonated water over all of them. <laughs> uh, they ask him how he feels after his first win. He says, well, I believe you can outscore your opponent and still lose just like you can score less than them and still win. But last week, we definitely won, and it's pretty darn fun. He is, well said, he is so consistent with this. If he's losing, he tells you winning and losing doesn't matter. If he's winning, he tells you winning and losing. I like that they they kept him consistent with that, right? Like, winning's not everything when he's winning. Yeah, and it's to the point he's starting to bring the crowd along with him. Nobody flinches when he says that, given how much Trent Crim's like, I'm writing that down for later. Everybody's just kind of on the same page now with respect to the concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls on Trent Crim, the independent, independent uh, who... Um, I love that even when he calls on him, Trent Crim still introduces himself the exact same damn way. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, and asks the question that's clearly on everyone's mind. So you bench Jamie. Brave move. Wonderful move. Brought the team together. But presumably he's going to be back for the next game, right? To which Ted utterly defies expectations and says, well, that depends on him. Trent's like following up because this was not what he was expecting he's like are you honestly going to keep your best player on the bench um to which uh ted makes a bit of a, a classic american joke about the word assume which apparently doesn't cross the pond which i'm very disappointed about makes an ass out of you and me but it's arse over there but it's not yeah, so, arsume so yeah it doesn't work it doesn't work he tries crowd doesn't respond well but they laugh once he explains it um ted represents though that jamie knows what we need out of him and so it really depends on him as to whether, as to when and when and if he's coming back. Jamie walked into the press room apparently yep. and saw this mm-hmm. and does not respond well to that statement from Ted. Just kind of shakes his head and walks immediately out of the room. As Ted's walking out of the press conference, again, remarkably more successful than the last few times he was in there, Rebecca grabs him and compliments, on, compliments him on his decision to bench Jamie. Brave. Masterstroke, which immediately Ted says, don't think we can say that word around the office. Good call, Ted. I don't think we can talk like that around here. <laughs> but tells Ted that, well, there's a problem, though. Manchester City's thinking about terminating his loan. They're going to take his house? Most hilarious response ever. Because <laughs> I don't think Ted's joking. I think he's actually concerned. <laughs> what kills me about this is he doesn't understand, like, very basics of the business of how these clubs work. Like, he doesn't even understand the idea of loaning a player. Nope, none of that. He's like, he basically thinks about it like his division, like 2A, like football program. Like, well, that's a player on our team. 
Like, that's a player. I just have the player. It really reveals just the un- large and varied category of things that Beard is handling for Ted. For sure. This is clearly in that category. Rebecca explains that, you know, that he's on loan to us to get more experience because Manchester City is one of the best teams, probably the best, usually one of the best teams in the Premier League, one of the best teams in the world. And so they take their more junior and experienced players, they'll loan them to other teams so they get some training up and then they'll bring them back once they've had had some more experience and can get some more play time. It's a great great arrangement for both of them. Um, But their opinion here is, well, if you're going to bench him, there's no point. We'll take him back now. Thank you. Right. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you send, you know, if you've got a guy like a, let's do a, for my American audience here, I'm going to translate. Let's say you've got a guy in the majors, um, pitcher, uh, but the changeup needs some work. So you send him down to AAA. But let's say he's mm-hmm. an asshole in the clubhouse and the AAA coach gets all high and mighty and benches him. Then you go, well, pff, it's not working on his changeup. Why the hell is he in AAA? Let's bring him back up. That's basically what happened. Exactly the same idea here. Very much so. <laughs> it's it's funny. We're referring, we're referring to Richmond as being, tri- as being AAA equivalent, but they are still in the same league as Manchester City. It's just a lot of variety. Yeah. Yeah, um, are, yeah for sure. Yeah. Uh, Ted says that this isn't his plan. Before just getting on a run of the word plan that he has several times with different words in this episode. He's suffering from somatic satiation, um, as he refers to it later. Plan that's lost all, all meaning, gets into a pronunciation war with Rebecca over the, how you pronounce plan versus plan. Plan? Plan? Uh, plan? Plan. No, plan, like flan. Like flan? No, plan? I don't like flan. Don't like flan. Hmm. Uh, I will say that I, I talked about that example of Jamie being on loan in, as far as development. And I think that that very much could be true, right? You want to develop your players, mm-hmm. so you send them somewhere else they are going to get playing time. I also think there's a business side of this, too, though, uh, to yeah. consider. Because if a guy's sitting on your bench, they're not gaining value as an asset. But if you send Jamie to Richmond and he crushes it, now you have increased the value of this asset that otherwise would be sitting on your team. Uh, and you've made some money in the process because you've, you've loaned them and you know, Richmond's paid you. So there's a business side of this too. It's a truly genius idea because everybody wins. Manchester gets a player that's, you know, is going to be presumably much more experienced and improved by when they take him back. Richmond is a great new potential, potential new all-star and Jamie gets to play, which he probably wouldn't at Manchester city. (laughs) Which we see. (laughs) We get to see later. Yeah. Um, Ted goes back in the locker room and they discuss this uh, this new kid from Mexico City, uh, Danny Rojas. Danny Rojas, heard Danny, Rojas Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard of him before. I think it's the first mention we have of him in the series. Football's At life. this point, we have n- no clue what they're talking about. Just he's a new kid. They're wondering how he's doing. Love this guy. Beard reveals that Jamie is claiming that he's hurt and can't train today. Uh... Ted would normally just kind of take this and politely talk to jamie later ted's on tilt though ted charges out no delay at all right up to jamie he starts out being all kinds of normal teddy asks him what's up jamie doesn't even have the courtesy to make a convincing lie that he's hurt ted briefly just takes it comes back and delivers an epic version of the alan iverson speech Directly to Jamie. Just shoot. It's it's almost word for word, that that, that famous speech. Practice? Um, we talking about we talking about practice. Not it, a game. Not a game. Practice. Oh, classic. 
It's a classic speech. He delivers it perfectly, tailors it just how he needs to with Jamie. Hammers home that this is the only time we get to play each other. The only time we get to train on our own terms where we're in control. This is you fundamentally turning your back on the team. And Jamie tries to be the smug bastard that he is for the first part of this. But halfway through the speech, it just starts to fall apart. Because he's not he doesn't really know how to take Ted getting really up in his grill on this. And the team is just enthralled, fascinated, reduced to others, just focused silence as this is going on. Eventually, Ted just says, you know what? Fine. You're hurt. I can't say anything about that. But if you're hurt, if you're on the reserve team, how about you go out and set cones up for the actual players that are playing? And then walks Ooh. up, saying, I really appreciate it. Everybody's like, oh, God. To the point that Jamie just doesn't even take it seriously. Immediately just tries to assign it to somebody else. To which, notably, the two players that tell him off about it are his two former cronies, Isaac and Colin, who directly shove it back in his face that, no, you're the second teamer now. You can go handle Isn't that. Isn't that so great to see those two buck up to Jamie? Finally. Everybody's been growing this season but Jamie so far. That's well, He's had a little, but not enough. Everybody's getting going a lot faster than he is. But this episode gives him a lot of potential before, before we finish up. Roy, of course, sits right next to him for the sole purpose of rubbing it in, because Roy. And back in the office, Nate is having the time of his life to see Jamie put in his place for once. Ted nicks his schadenfreude. This is a no, no schadenfreude zone right now. No schadenfreude! Um, no schadenfreude! Nine schadenfreude. Uh, and focuses back on this uh, this Danny Rojas guy. Asks Beard, is he any good? To which Beard, surprisingly, just says, we don't really know. He well, transferred hurt, over right? from he's, the Mexico. They've never even seen him play. He's just been hurt. He's just, just getting yeah. off the IR. He transferred over from the Mexico League during the summer session or something. Got hurt right away. He's coming back now. No one really knows how this guy's any good. But from Ted's perspective, doesn't really matter. He, he, he apparently uh, is the same position as Jamie, or at least can be. And his goal here is, I put somebody in Jamie's position. Jamie's pride and ego start to go off the charts. Maybe potentially gets him reset and rededicated to the team just to have a basically bruised ego. Right. It, it's an effective strategy. But Ted, nice guy that he is, he's worried about Danny. He doesn't want to use Danny in terms of any purposes here. So he wants to make sure that everybody, make sure that Danny acclimates okay, because the Premier League, it's a hard time for everybody. Yep. Smash cut to Danny charging out like a mix between, as referred to by Ted later, the gorgeous raven-haired golden retriever that he is in human form. Literally at one point at the end of as he charged that, appearing to chase his own tail as he runs in happy, excited circles. Also with a certain mix of just, I don't know, a sports Pokemon yelling out his own name like a battle cry as he charges out onto the pitch. You're a spirited fella, Danny. <laughs> Jerk it out by the Caesars is playing and it's perfect because it's just a classically thematic soccer song. Danny's one of those guys that no matter what he's doing, he is the happiest guy to be there. And when it comes to particularly soccer, he is on cloud nine to even be present. So this is definite. What they did here is they said, let's get a uh, some sort of like equal to Jamie, you know, as far as talent. Mm-hmm. But let's make him like a young Mexican version of Ted. Right. This guy's Ted. <laughs> Perfect. Like, it's Ted's spirit animal. This is absolutely Ted. And just in terms of him yelling out football is life. Football is life. Football is life. Ted wishes that he'd thought of that kind of maxim for the team. Ted, overjoyed that this is already working out perfectly, assigns assigns Danny to the striker spot. He charges out there, ready to prove the coaches how excited he is to do this. 
gives high fives to everybody, rapidly demonstrate everybody's really into it, except notably Jamie, who does this weird kind of cross-defend position when Danny tries to give him a double high five. Uh, uh, question for you. When, he, when Danny's singing football is life, football is life, did you half expect Ted to do one of his like super serious, well, it's a, it can be a good part of your life, but you also need to be well-rounded in other areas. Did you expect no, some of that? No. <laughs> Ted knows his moments. He knows how to work the enthusiasm at the given time. He can give Danny that speech later. <laughs> Danny charges that, and it's immediately apparent that He's actually really Ooh, good. Very good. Is this? Do, do we know if this actor is actually doing? Because good lord, he's good. Uh, he played amateur league. Oh, okay. uh, he is. He, he he is an experienced former soccer player, and it shows. Yeah, for sure. Like you know, a lot of times in this in like sports, uh, either television shows or movies, you have like I love the the like hands. You see, the hands are just the feet. Right. It's almost Mm -hmm. like the piano player where you see the guy behind the piano and the face and then you see the hands. You do that a lot with sports. But this this shot was very clearly him with the soccer ball. It's like we didn't get that sort of breakup shot of just the feet and then just his face. You know, he he even looks like physically like a soccer player more than some of the other actual actors that are in this because the man has tree trunks for legs. That's a lot of power he's using to get get down, get back and forth down the pitch. Low center of gravity, too. Oh, absolutely. Uh What's really great about this is not only is he good, great kick in, perfect pass to Sam, he immediately makes it about the team. Yep. He can he congratulates Sam right away. He goes in for a big hug. Everyone, second second teamers, injured the injured reserve, they all charge out just excited for Danny. Everybody's having a great day except Jamie. And with Danny just, you know, held aloft by everybody just yelling out football of his life. Doesn't he, like, compliment Sam on his cross? Um, <laughs> Wonderful cross, Sam. Yeah. That was really He yells cool. it out. Uh, particularly when it comes to Sam, because that's in pointed contrast to everything Jamie has ever said to Sam, ever. For sure. Uh, Roy, of course, <laughs> feels the need to rub it in, because Roy. <laughs> and I can't really tell, a- but it seems like he's very good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that he even feels the need to say, like, cheers again. Just like, no, this is the second time I'm doing this, and I want you to acknowledge it's the second time this is happening in, like, 20 minutes. Uh, back in the office, uh, Keely charges in with her absolutely lovely unicorn planner uh, to reveal to Rebecca that she's been taking her job offer very seriously. She's been doing research on the team about their backgrounds, their bios, potential marketing opportunities. Apparently discovered that Richard used to work on a goat, grew up on a goat farm when he was a kid. And apparently Isaac's mother has two left hands. Don't, is that the, all right, so I thought about this. It's got to be thumb placement, right? I have, I, I share a similar reaction to Rebecca of, what did you just say? Can we double check? I think it's got to be thumb placement. You know, I think you have to have the thumb on the wrong side of the right hand, maybe. Sure. I have never even heard that being an op- an option, but now I know. She wants to lay out some of all these uh, sponsorship opportunities, and she's intruded in the middle of Rebecca Higgins' meeting. Higgins discussed the idea that apparently Keeley has fuck-off privileges in a way that Higgins does not, and he and Rebecca share a wonderful laugh on the subject that that will never, ever be part of how they work together. Higgins does then fuck off, and Keeley reveals that the main reason she came in was to check in on Rebecca over the news. 
Uh, what familiarity does Rebecca have with the news that Keeley is aware of? She has no idea. And it's actually interesting. Um, it's a fair assumption by Keeley that Rebecca would know about this. We've seen Rebecca on multiple occasions in this show just obsessively looking at, uh, you know, tabloids online. The fact that she didn't catch that this morning tells me she might have actually been in a good place that morning before this shitstorm uh, hits her doorstep. Thank you so much for mentioning that, because that, that was my thoughts exactly. That We saw that she gets a big, huge pile of tabloids on her desk as, like, you know, her welcoming New York Times kind of thing in the office. And the fact that she apparently didn't see this headline means she didn't read them, means she's in a better place, means she was doing well at the start of this episode, and it goes straight downhill from here. Old Rebecca was having a good day. Old Rebecca was having... Oh, God, why'd you say it that way? Make me repeat it. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well done uh rebecca has said doesn't know but bex who we will refer to her after as the hideous cow that is short for rebecca god that's uh, so is... funny that back and forth where he's like what am i supposed to do admit she's not mad fit yeah okay that hideous cow <laughs> <laughs> so funny the, the press is now calling her rebecca and our rebecca old rebecca this is one of the moments of where, again, we see Rebecca try to soldier through this, but it clearly ta- she clearly takes it on the chin. Uh, Keely reassures her that she's here to help. She is very much Rebecca's friend and wants her to know that. And Rebecca seems reassured by that, even though she is decidedly shook by this news. So, um, Back life, the- life lessons mm-hmm. from Uncle Lee to the kids out there. Um, take this quote from Keeley and throw it to your friends whenever they're having a bad day or they're struggling with something. You can, you can package this quote, you can send it out and you'll be very successful in your interpersonal relationships. Here's the quote. Don't worry about it. You've got this. And if you don't got this, you just call me, right? That's a great quote. Wow. Man, it's a, it's a really solid friend quote for sure. Absolutely. Uh, in terms of somebody who could desperately need a friend right now, we find Jamie alone on the pitch, picking up cones and what is a kind of actually sad moment? He's a, still a prick, but I have enough empathy to care about him that he is alone out there in Russian track outfit, just picking up cones by himself. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet track outfit, though. It's a nice track outfit. Uh, he kicks the ball at the goal, and I'm going to say purposefully, which I in air quotes, hits the top bar. I think he honestly just missed and then played it off. Do you think so? Because I, I kind of thought he was... Because I mean, we we've been told he has a golden foot. I thought he I thought that's how he practices. I, I, it's not clear to me. We haven't seen him do this previously, and in some ways, I appreciated the, just the extra bearing of the you know knife into him. If he meant to just score a goal and missed in that moment, and it just played it off to the new young recruit. Yeah, that would be, be that would be better, right? That would be much more brutal for Jamie. Thematically appropriate. Hard, hard to say what they're actually going with. Uh, Danny immediately runs over and thinks that what he just did was so awesome. Uh, and he's just still so overwhelmingly excited. And Dan said, Jamie says, hey, of course I did it on purpose, but you know, you're really good, but you need to understand. And as he's trying to, you know, give this tell off kind of mix of a life lesson slash fuck you, Danny proceeds to kick the ball and hit the top bar and starts to immediately say, Hey, it's one, one and starts a competition. Cause of course he's has all the excitement of a nine year old. Of course, he's going to make a game out of whatever he can. Having a good day. Let's, let's do this. Me and you, come on, we'll get close. We'll get close while we do this. They apparently do some version of soccer horse. They proceed to hit various locations and challenge each other for it. <laughs> Good way to call it, soccer horse. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, throughout all of this, one thing I love is that as Danny's matching Jamie shot for shot, he's complimenting Jamie every single time. Yeah. 
He's that classic, wonderful kind of competitor that can be beating you and still reassuring you and complimenting you about how you're doing. Great guy. He eventually wins, but plays it off that he just got lucky, because again, he's an awesome dude, and then just excitedly runs off. Football is life! <laughs> he's so great. Danny's, so, Danny's such a wonderful character. So that thing that you just described of like complimenting the player that you're playing against... Um, mm-hmm. very famously in the NBA, Tim Duncan used to do this. Um, so people, you know, yeah, good back then, you know, in the late nineties and early two thousands, there's a lot of like real big men in the NBA who would bang down low and they were really like gruff. Like Shaq was as nice as Shaq, Shaq is in the Papa John commercials right now. And not a nice guy in the NBA, Kevin Garnett, not a nice guy, had a bunch of them like that, Rashid Wallace. And they said to Duncan would like, you you'd put a shoulder in Duncan and go up with the baby hook and he'd go. Hey man, nice shot, but next time, you know, make sure you fake right first. He'd give you advice. He's famous for it. <laughs> and it's it's one of my favorite stories in the NBA of like Tim Duncan being like, hey man, that was pretty good, but in your footwork next time, make sure you pick it up on the second jump. <laughs> mm-hmm. T- Ted and Beard are looking in on this, and Ted is just happy. At least he's expressing that he's happy. It's like, this bet's working out perfectly. We figured we were just going to, you know, find a way to get our ace restored, but turns out we got two aces in our hand. Woo! Great situation. He immediately gets stuck on the word aces again, and it actually catches on to Beard, and they worry that it's contagious. The semantic association is actually contagious. But they're able to work through it by, uh, again, debating the weird trivia that they always do, this time about the lead guitarist of Kiss. Uh, Keeley walks in on Roy and has what is a delightful stroll through the park while on treadmills. As uh, Roy is still reading A Wrinkle in Time while he's on the treadmills, which I find hilarious. That's a good question. Have you ever, yeah. like, read and walked that slow? That seemed to me a very strange thing that Roy was doing. I feel like you either are on a treadmill and, like, booking it and running and, and reading, or you're just, like, off it and reading. This very slow walk, I'm not sure, quite sure what he's getting from that. My guess is that this isn't actually exercise. This is the stretching walk that you do after you exercise kind of thing, of where he's just been working he's just working out to turn through training, and now he's just doing a slow, dial-down kind of walk so as to loosen out his muscles in a natural way. Which That's would make sense guess. with an older guy, right? Okay, yeah, t- a little TB12 stuff. Okay, I like where your head's at, Spencer. That was good. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm getting old myself. I have to ponder these things. Uh, Keely talks about various aspects of Roy's backstory that we didn't know before. She's been reading bios that he used to play in Sunderland. That he had to make up a rap charity verse in Winner Winner Football Dinner for World Hunger. Oh, God. Roy, it almost contrary it. to... <laughs> almost did. Roy, uh, Roy, contrary to what he would have acted just a couple episodes ago, laughs at this. Yeah, he did. He's amused about it. Yeah. He's you know engaging with Keeley about it. A, it says he's more comfortable with Keeley. B, it also just says that Roy himself is getting more comfortable with just not always being angry. Having different aspects to his personality. He strikes me as like a young kid on the playground, right? Because when Keeley walks up to him, his first reaction was, what are you doing? Like, in the, yeah. with that weird, like, it's you know. defensive. Exactly. Yeah, that defensive. So, what are you doing? I think he's just like a schoolboy that crush. Yeah, it's very much that. And. While he's still kind of coming to terms with how to express it, Keeley absolutely knows and understands it and is enjoying messing with him about it. Yeah. As I said but on previous she, podcasts, the master Yoda of talking to men. Absolutely. Roy, though, is clearly enjoying it. And they discuss the idea about that, you know, Keeley has a new job. She's reading bios. She's, you know, pondering out ways to market the players. Roy recoils a little bit about that. He doesn't like the idea of being, you know, put up for auction, same way as we saw for the literal auction previously. But Keeler reveals that, you know, while you don't want to be a show pony, you do have a number and you do trot around while people clap. So the similarities are there. 
You wear a well, number, wait, so trot around while people clap. So I wouldn't be too high and mighty about it. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, and, she's good. <laughs> it's a wonderful line. And I love I love that Roy gives people credit when they have a good line. Because all he can do is just smile and nod to that when she walks away. That is a, you've, you've pointed this out multiple times in the recap. It's very good. He, I love how when you get a point over on Roy, he just goes, hmm, fair point. Like, Absolutely. I kind of want to be that in life. <laughs> like, I want to yeah, do that. The, he, he's, he's, when it comes to arguments, he's no way just immediately reactionary defensive. He's it's just that it's the Tim Duncan effect. When it at least comes to arguments, he's here to work with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, as we we go back out to uh, Danny, who's apparently still running because he's so excited. He's practicing alone with the cones when nobody else is on the pitch, and just kind of slips and trips and seemingly hurts himself. They haul him in, and while Ted just tries to write it off as, you know, what the hell happened? Why'd you trip? Danny is certain that he didn't trip. Someone tripped him. Clearly reveals that he's a rather superstitious person, which we might think for we may think for a second is only him, but we rapidly get evidence that's not the case. So I would like to point out a alternate uh, theory here. Um, he just got off the injured reserve. He's yeah. just got it. He was just injured. And he decided in his first practice that he they would practice full full speed. And when everybody leaves, he would literally just keep running in circles until he, I guess he gassed or something. So, yeah. uh, you know, was it a ghost? I don't know. Of, 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 of like a previous war veteran uh, that got conned into uh, service? Possibly. Could mm-hmm, it be mm-hmm. that he just overdid it in his first practice back from injury? Eh, maybe so. You know, just again, the advice we get from Uncle Lee, I think you may have tapped into it there. I think you have a more plausible explanation than we got from Danny Rojas. Or apparently, the entirety of the rest of the team. Because I love how superstitious uh, sports players are, particularly on like professional sports teams. Of where immediately Nate offers that, oh, I shouldn't have let him go into the treatment room. And everyone's on the same page that, oh, the treatment room. It's the treatment room. It's claimed another. Even Roy says, we're never going to see him again. He's dead. He's gone now. So superstitious athletes. The best example I have of this, Michael Jordan throughout his entire career under his Chicago Bull basketball shorts wore the same pair of Carolina basketball shorts that he had in college when he hit the the game winner in like 1982 to win the national championship. He took that pair of shorts and he wore it every single game his entire professional career. Unbelievable how superstitious these guys can be. And he reassured the Looney Tunes that he washed them between every game. Sure, Michael. We'll save that. Sure. Um, everybody is freaking out, including actually Roy and particularly uh, Ted and Beard, who are just really annoyed that they don't know what the hell everybody's talking about. Because even Higgins is in on this. The moment Nate says that, even Higgins just flinches away. Ted determines, they find out that you know the room is fully cursed, apparently. And no one's really comfortable talking about it because they're grown men that believe in curses. Except Roy. But Roy also is not going to go in there with Ted and actually investigate it. Absolutely not. Ted determines he's going to find a way to reverse the curse. And it starts with everybody in the team. We're all going to the team pub together. We're going to have a talk. Outside of the, outside of the locker room, neutral territory. Well, everybody but Jamie, apparently. Yeah. Um... Ted starts noting that he doesn't know much about curses, but he knows one thing. They don't last forever. And he gives us a few examples. Boston Red Sox. Curse the Bambino's over. Chicago Cubs. Finally gotten gotten through that. Even Martin Scorsese finally won his Best Director Oscar. 
He then offers, though, I think we all could agree that The Departed was not his best film. Departed, not his best film. I agree with that. Everyone then proceeds to offer what they think was the best Martin Scorsese film. We get a lot of options. Uh, we get the, you know, of course, The Departed is pretty, pretty rapidly poo-pooed. Ted offers that he thinks it's actually uh, Color of Money. Weird call, Ted, but sure. Uh, we get Goodfellas as a possibility, I think, from Colin. We get Age of Innocence from Isaac. Deep dive there. We get Cape Fear from Beard. We get Mean Streets from the Lady Pub Owner. A lot of options to throw out here. I got to ask you, sir. Best Martin Scorsese film. I want to hear. From, I want to hear it from you. Uh, yeah. So I'm kind of chalk here. Like I'm kind of a basic bitch on this one. It is Goodfellas to me, but I will give the honorable mention to Cape Fear. How about you? Uh, you know, it's definitely not color of money. I don't know where the hell Ted's coming from in that. Very one. strange. Solid enough. <laughs> Solid enough t- t- Tom Cruise movie. I like Paul Newman. I think he's also in it too. And you get some very memorable bits, bits of pool hustling. It's basically the sequel to The Hustler. Uh, but still, weird choice. I honestly say that Wolf of Wall Street's better than that one. Um, for me, I-, I think Goodfellas is definitely a solid pick. Other ones I would mention, Taxi Driver is excellent if nobody's seen it. It's a weird damn film, but it's quite good. Creepy out. And, and though I think Goodfellas is better, Casino... Really damn solid film that I rewatched recently. Casino's solid. I agree. Um, Taxi Driver is like, um, you know, if you if you have a daughter who's like 19, uh, just hitting the dating market, you're like, let me show you how, how weird guys can be. <laughs> let me show you this movie. Um, one thing I want to go back to in your recap is um, when they first start exp- in the locker room, they first start explaining the fact that the training room is, or the treatment room is cursed. Um, mm-hmm. I had a bit of a spit take. So I was uh, literally drinking some like water or green tea or something. And Ted just blurts, why is this the first time I'm hearing about this? <laughs> I just yep. want to give a, a, a moment for that to breathe because that was absolutely hilarious. And great effing point, Ted. Like what? We got a cursed room here in the locker room. Nobody told me. And we're like four games in. Yeah, it's a really funny reaction from Ted, compounded by the fact that his threat to them, if they don't immediately reveal it, is that he's just going to throw a, throw his uh, his son's version of a temper tantrum. He's just going to start calling people funny names. Like, what was it, piss fingers or something like that? Or pissy fing- pee P- fingers? Piss hands or, not, I don't know, poop head, it, it's all a kinds lo- of stuff. It's a lot of pee and poop related things the same way that all of what, what would you say his son is? Seven? Something like that probably? Seven, but you didn't, and then, then jump me forward here, you really didn't give, you, you just kind of like were like, you're like the referee here on the Martin Scorsese film. You, I, I saw how you just slipped out of that. You didn't choose one. Goodfellas is my favorite. I think Taxi Driver... I'm one of those things where Goodfellas is my favorite, but I think Taxi Driver is a better film. Interestingly enough, though, I checked American Film Institute's uh, top 100 list. Their number one is one I have seen, but it's not my favorite. Raging Bull. Raging Bull is really... Wait a second. Hold on. It's not my favorite, Whoa. but it is very good. Hold on. All right. That's my honorable uh, mention over Cape Fear now. So, Goodfellas, uh, Raging Bull? Then Cape Fear, yep, exactly. They actually put uh, Raging Bull as number as number five best American film ever. That's a great they put it up on that list. movie. Yeah, it's, it's, man, it how is, did I forget it that It is one? very good. But not my favorite, but it's one of those things. I have separate categories of, like, the films I call my favorite and the films I acknowledge are really good. Raging Bull is not my favorite, but it is really damn good. Um... So they, uh, the club owner, uh, sorry, the, the pub owner reveals what the kind of source of, with Higgins actually, what the source of this curse is. There is a poster on the wall behind her, which says, are you a fast fit fan of football? Solid alliteration. Very good. She reveals on November 18th, 1914, posters like this were put up all over town, inviting people to try out to be a professional football player. However, there was another very serious event that was occurring at this point in history. World War I. 
This was not actually a recruitment drive for, you know, new members of the Richmond football team. This was a recruitment drive to join the British war effort during World War One. And in rapid bait and switch. Yeah, and these kind of things happened. Um, the recruiters then used this opportunity to strongly encourage as many young men in the area to enlist as they possibly could. British war effort needed as many bodies as they could. 400 people enlisted, and very few of them ever came home. Particularly early in the war like this, yeah, very few of those guys would have survived, and those that did come home were probably coming home scarred. Just dumped them in the trenches. Pretty much, yeah. They went for their physical, notably in the treatment room. Ted Woo. tries to just blatantly lie about this, but makes it about ten seconds before he reveals that that was just a lie. It was totally the treatment room. And the team rapidly starts to spiral. As they're like, it's 400 ghosts. That's too many ghosts. We can't fight that many ghosts. I love that they're focusing on the fact that it's 400 of them. That's way more than they can possibly handle. Six would have been okay, but 400 is insurmountable. A lot of exorcism. Absolutely. Ted says, you know, we can't change the past. We can't fix that. But we can honor it. And his proposal to honor it is, everybody go home, find something that's important to you, something that matters, something you truly value and is personal. And at midnight tonight, come back to the locker room. He has something that's planned. So I think we as a podcast need to do this, right? Like, we need to... um like to in order to exercise any potential, you know, bad listenership, any any bad juju the podcast has going into season two of Ted Lasso, we we need to like pick something and like like burn it, right? I think that is a lovely idea that I count on you to bring to this kind of show that we will return to at a later date. Understood. Um, when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to um, Ted, though, he is like he silences the room he organizes the room Roy notably helping in this regard team captain that he is just gets everybody on the page immediately we're all gonna fucking do it absolutely and then as they are reorganized the prior threat the pub owner made about prior warning the pub owner made about the fan base rapidly coming out in force to greet the entire team in one group public location comes true because they are descending in mass from the outside uh we cut to a Jamie Keeley meeting, which looks like it's in the location of a drug deal. Did they decide to meet over an under meet under an underpass somewhere? Uh, yeah, well, I think they were going for prostitution, but yeah, some illicit activity for sure. Sure, yes. Uh, they're having a meeting. <laughs> Keeley reveals that they can't either meet in his house or his car because she's a Pavlovian response to either to immediately need sex. In fact, she's already had three glasses of wine just knowing she was meeting with Jamie. Pavlovian is that Jam- the wine? I love that Jamie does not know who Ivan Pavlov is. That's just very on-point characterization. He slowly starts to get it over the course of the conversation, which yeah. is actually also pretty on-point, too. Yeah, he does. He's he's able to pick up the cues in classical conditioning. Uh, it's perfectly possible that Keeley's been subtly classically conditioning him in a lot of ways in the past. Who knows? Uh, Jamie reveals that he's really pissed about Ted, that he's not planning on attending the sacrifice, and basically says, you know, I came from a council estate in North Manchester to the Premier League. Do you think I did what everybody else did to accomplish that? And Keeley can't really do anything other than agree that obviously what he's accomplished is remarkable and he did it his own way. But she encourages him that perhaps he should also stop battling the people that just want to help him. And proceeds to just kind of wave him off and walk away as he tries to tempt her for one last schnog in the car, but uh, she's not interested anymore. So appreciate the use of the, the verb schnog. Second thing here is, um, is this the first time that Keeley really tips her hand that she is on board with Ted's coaching strategy? 
To Jamie, yes. Well, I mean, absolutely. I know that she likes Ted personally, but I've, I've never, I don't think I remember her ever really buying into Ted's way of coaching the team and saying, hey, you should listen to that guy. He's got your best interest in heart. That's an absolutely good call. And that's also a ringing endorsement for Ted. Because you can imagine that Keeley would not put up with it, with any form of subpar coaching. She's had too much prior experience with the with the sport. That's kind of my thought, is that if he's won Keeley over, that's that's a real big deal. Good call there. Good call. Rebecca has returned to where she usually starts her mornings and is just delving into tabloids. Which, apparently, front and center are focused on her. Was there nothing else for the British tabloids to talk about that day? Apparently not. Terrible. Uh, In one of my favorite scenes of the episode, Sam arrives in her office. Steps in, introduces himself. Apparently, unlike Nate, Rebecca actually remembers who he is, or at least claims that she does. And Sam asks whether she's free tonight. She immediately thinks he's asking her out and starts to do that kind of politely flattered but declining kind of response. Sam handles the situation like an absolute champ. He immediately understands how she's misunderstood, why she's, the degree to which she's misunderstood, reveals that it's perfectly reasonable that she misunderstands, and then offers a lovely compliment about, you know, probably also factors in that you receive so many invitations because you're so lovely. It's really well done on his part. Solid, She's immediately man. flattered and taken by him a bit. Yeah. And Sam reveals that, you know, because he's Nigerian, everybody just assumes he's really into curses. She's like, oh, so you're not? It's like, oh, no, I totally am. It's mostly due to Harry Potter, actually. First of two Harry Potter references in the episode. If you're a fan of Harry Potter, Spencer does a podcast called Pottering Around, a chapter-by-chapter <laughs> reread of Harry Potter that you can find on any of your favorite podcast platforms. People wonder why I don't do more marketing on this show. It's just I can count on you for those just kind of wonderful in-references right there. Bravo, sir. <laughs> uh, Sam transitions to the idea that he's also... Did you know that you know, J.K. Rowling is worth more money than uh, the Queen? Becca reveals that she did know that. Sam has a wonderful mm. line about... You know, it's debatable. Yeah, it's more liquid cash, assets. Might address that in the Sports Center Top 10. We'll debate. We'll debate. It's, a, it's a common... It's one of those common knowledge things that if you delve deeper, it's really debatable. Um, but it's it's a thing that everybody's kind of heard. He gets a wonderful line about how much he really enjoys the idea that someone is really rich for what they gave to the world rather than who their family is. Man. It's this kind of little beatific smile on his face. It camera cuts back to Rebecca, and she has this look of just impressed speechlessness. She's clearly never interacted with Sam much, and she's really kind of taken in by the guy, which is how genuine he is in saying these kind of lines. Did we have any idea that Sam had this gear? I mean, up until now, he's been kind of like the, the kid that you just sort of take care of in the locker room who means yeah. well, plucky guy. I had no idea he was like he he could like handle this verbal in a, in, a, in a English second language. Right. Oh, yeah. it's not even his, well, his, his primary language that, that he, he grew up with. I wouldn't imagine in Nigeria. So like. Man, that is, it's impressive what he's doing here in this conversation, for sure. Yeah, I had a nasty tendency to look at Nate as being, you know, I said Nate, I meant, I meant, I meant Sam, Freudian as slip. being kind of a Nate, Freudian <laughs> slip very much. It's really not the case. He's a little bit uncomfortable in the pitch, surrounded by these superstar players, but when it comes to personal interactions, this man is adept. Yeah, for sure. Um, he probably speaks English as at least a second language, given former former English colony with Nigeria. But who can say for sure? We don't know what region. He's That's from. what I mean. Second, English is a second language, right? Like, so he, it's not. Anyway, it's just more impressive still. Absolutely, carries himself well, and he invites her to the curse breaking ceremony because the whole team needs to be there, and it's your team. 
And Sam is just so charismatic and genuine that it really gets through to her, as well as the idea that the team itself, her players, view her as being one of them. To which all she can say is, for you, Sam, I will. It's like she, if anybody else had gone, if Ted had gone, she would not have agreed to that. But Sam, in that moment, what he told her, got her to do something she otherwise never would have even considered. I apologize. I can't take no for an answer. Coach thinks it will only work if the whole team is there. And Miss Welton, it's your team. Man. Powerful line. Powerful line. I, I love that his apology about that I can't take no for an answer, too, because it just really focuses you in. It's that, no, listen to me a moment. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Perfectly, fra- perfectly laid out, perfectly stated. Sam needs to represent this team more and more of their dealings because the man knows what he's doing. That night, whole team's there, including Rebecca, a moment late, but there. And Ted reveals that by his nature, he is a believer. And that other than the wit and wisdom of Calvin and Hobbes, not much lasts forever. I will absolutely agree with him that Calvin and Hobbes is awesome and always will remain such. Cosign. We get to see all the players, starting with our team captain, then place what is their treasured, personal, valued object in this bin to be destroyed as their sacrifice to banish this curse. Mm-hmm. Let's go through a few of them, because some of them are really surprisingly meaningful. Roy's first, and reveals that his childhood blanket, Blanky, that it I said Blanket, nine, fuck you! <laughs> we all heard you, Roy. It's Blanky. Own that, sir. Be proud of it. Uh, at age nine... When he was scouted, his granddad drove him all the way off to Sutherland. I think it was Sutherland. Uh, It was freezing. He was terrified. He was shivering. And his granddad gave him a blanket both to keep warm and remind him of home. And it was the last he ever saw him again because he died before he was able to make it home over Christmas. And he still kept that blanket with him for what? What, I would just say old Roy is mid-30s probably, something like that. Maybe early 30s. 28 years, 27 years, something like that. He's kept it. He's had He's had this long, long time, and it's a lot better kept than my old childhood blanket, I gotta say. Isn't it sort of astounding that he's willing to part with this thing for this for this event? I mean, my this is, gosh. This is the action of a team captain right there. The coach has decided the team is doing this. He's going to go all out for it because he needs to send a message to everybody about how much they need to be into this. Because this is an astounding thing that he throws into this. This is in, probably so much more than Ted ever intended people to throw into this, I would think. Mm-hmm. But Roy's there for him. He puts it in there, not a second glance back, and, t- and turns to Sam. Sam, picture of the 1994 Nigerian World Cup team that he had pledged not to take down until he made the team. But he still intends to keep that pledge. Richard has sand from a beach in St. Bart's. What is this beach? Why is this beach relevant to Richard? First time he ever slept with a supermodel. I mean, it's relatable. And relatable situation. It, I love that he has the most emotional reaction to this of any of the other players, though. He starts breaking down in tears, pouring out the sand in there, to the point that Colin has to come over and console him to remind him that smile because it happened. Smile because it happened. <laughs> good, good advice right there. Nate uh, has his Clive Owen sunglasses that apparently a girl complimented him on in the past one time. He struggles to drop them in there, but he's able to pull it off. Rebecca tosses a tabloid, one from today. With the memorable line of, fuck the haters. So good, man. You know what? She, you know, obviously she's a double agent here, but. Um, she's actually I, in for I, this Exactly. Moment, I think we, you know, obviously we build to where she flips and she actually starts working for the team later in the season. Spoiler alert, but I'm sure everybody listening has already seen the season. Um, 
And this is like your your little breadcrumb, right? That she's starting to get there mentally because yeah. she's in on this event at this point. This is a real big fork in the road moment for her. She could have gone a set path and never worried about going the opposite direction from here if she'd wanted to. She doesn't. She veers le- She veers left before this episode is over. But this is kind of one of those moments of where she had an opportunity to set a different path. And this was seemingly moving in that direction. Uh, Higgins drops uh, his cat's collar. Do you, do you remember the name of the cat? Yeah, Cindy Clawford. Um, I'm going to tell you, this is a callback from a previous episode where he said he had a 20-year-old cat that is about to die and it's going to wreck him emotionally. And I started whimpering on the podcast because I can identify so much because not that I have an old cat, but I have cats that if they were to pass, I would lose my mind. The fact that he died in between episodes, low-key one of the saddest things about this episode. And he has her collar still and he drops it in there for the sake of the team. Higgins... As much as he struggles to accomplish things at times, he's still a champ. Uh, Isaac, apparently it's the only pen that he can ever write his name with. Uh, it plays music. It's a lovely pen. Uh, Colin throws in the keys to his Lamborghini, inviting Beard to ask, How are you getting home? Good question. <laughs> we get to see all the other players. I like that we get to see all the other extra players put their stuff in there too. We don't know their names. We don't see them much. We don't even necessarily know what they're putting in there, but I like we get a t- even just a little brief scene flash for each one of them. Do you know the music playing over the montage? I didn't write it down. What is it? Over, under, sideways, down by the Yardbirds. Good song. That is a good song. I like that one. Everyone looks like they put something in until Jamie dramatically arrives at the very end with another really meaningful thing to put in here. It's not his first boots, but they are boots that his mom gave him. And she was the one who got him into football. And when his parents split that she was very, when she was very little, she was the reason that he worked so hard. And yet she doesn't give a damn if he's the best. She doesn't give a damn if he's good. She just wants him to be happy and be a good lad. In fact, it wasn't until he started to get good that his dad showed back up in his life and was Scumbag. Bra- bragging to all his mates that he's got a son in the Premier League who's kicking ass or wherever he was before. And notably, calling Jamie soft if he doesn't dominate every game that he played, which Jamie hated. He hated a lot. If you want to like see an honest emotion out of Jamie for one of the first times this season, him saying how much he hated this really is honest speaking from the heart there. And I've got the next quote if you want it. Please, give it to me in full. I made a vow. I hated that. I hated it. I made a vow talking about being soft, called being soft. I made a vow to be so tough that he would never call me soft again. I wonder if sometimes I forgot about making her proud her this mom. I don't think that she would be lately. That is, we've seen touches of this Jamie before. We've seen that there's an honest kind of guy in there under all of these just levels of douche that he's wrapped around himself as a certain form of fitting the role and protection. This is letting, putting the fence down for a minute and seeing through to what the potential core of, it, a, good, of a good potential guy is. And he throws him in there. And I love that all of the team, nobody mocks him. Roy's come up and bust his balls a little bit, anything else. Everybody just does a very respectful kind of nod. Yep. This is a guy who just spoke from the heart in a way they've never seen before, particularly in a team setting. Ted moves to light it on fire, to which Beard offers the wonderful wisdom that Maybe we should do this outside. Yeah, very good idea. Bad, bad, bad to burn that there. Especially as big as that fire got. Oh, yeah. This thing goes up like a torch. Um, They take it outside. Ted lights it. As all the team is kind of just celebrating around it, Higgins walks up with the line, The eagle has landed. Ted, knowing his cue, 
invokes the spirits for a sign that the ghosts are satisfied by this gesture. To which, like a voice from the sky, Danny Ross runs out perfectly okay, holding a giant-ass bottle of mezcal. The spirits! The spirits! The spirits are mollified. Their injured party has been returned to them. Jamie and Roy agree, for what is maybe one of the few times we've ever seen it this season, that the mezcal should be drunk rather than given up to the ghost. Well, and... yeah, because if you throw that bottle of liquor in that, in that <laughs> dumpster fire, it's going to fucking explode like a Molotov cocktail. Yeah, exactly a Molotov cocktail. Uh, so, good call on their part. They all enjoy a nice little drink together. And as they're enjoying some time together, Rebecca turns to Ted, basically and says, I didn't expect you to be such a gambler showman. I mean, how did you know that would work out? To which Ted reveals, oh, I've known for hours that Danny was okay. In fact, it was Higgins' idea to wait for this moment to reveal it like this. Rebecca turns, that kind of hard-turn moment you see in TV to, to Higgins. It's like, oh, it looks like you've kind of picked your loyalties. And yep. Higgins reveals that he has. Mm -hmm. Rebecca doesn't lash out at him, doesn't bust his balls, doesn't even look angry about it, really. If anything, she just seems kind of resigned to it that, well, I don't necessarily blame you. She had to expect this from Higgins. Higgins has the job because he loves the club. I mean, you, what you're asking him to yeah. do is antithetical to the reason he's there. Yeah, and though he's a guy that can be easily browbeaten to doing what you want him to do, as we saw with respect to her husband, he's not a bad guy, and he doesn't want to do this anything that hurts people like this. Right. Um, Rebecca looks on as Ted walks over with the team. She encourages Ted to walk over to be with the team. They all enjoy a drink together. She looks on from the outside and walks off alone as Ted looks after. The team enjoy a rousing repeat of We're Richmond Until We Die. And as we cut to the, the team the next morning... Wait a second. They're I think we need mm -hmm. to sing it. We're rich until we, we die. We're rich until we die. We know we are. We're sure we are. We're rich until we die. until we die. Pretty good. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's, good. it's, a, it's a good, re re simple, repeated refrain that fans love. Next day, I'd say it's fair to say the team is looking more like a team than we've ever seen them. Great success. It's up and it's good from our man Ted Lasso. You talk about a big-ass W. My God, locker room... 180 degrees different. You wouldn't even recognize these guys. It's night and day compared to what it was when he first walked in there a few episodes back. Everything's looking great. Ted is looking like he's in legitimately good spirits rather than just faking and faking an alternate focus to get his mind off other things. However, there is one person in the locker room that looks downright dispirited. Beard. It's Beard. Coach Beard. Wait, why on earth would Beard look unhappy in this given moment? He knows the news. What was telegraphed for us earlier in the episode has come true. Man City has whoop and pulled Jamie. And you can bet that what we know about Rebecca and her whole reason for hiring Ted and her whole reason, uh, her motivation for managing this team in the way that she does, had something to do with this. Absolutely. Now, in terms of episode two, Ted, how would he have reacted to this, probably? Episode 2, Ted? He probably would have gone yeah. in and, you know, hey, uh, I heard about this. You'd have been sheepish. Episode 6, Ted, how does he react? You got rid of Jamie! Oh, my God. You, the the, the brow beating he gave um, our boy Jamie earlier in the episode is, mm. at least for a brief moment, amped up a little bit. He does back off of it and eventually realizes who he's talking to. But, man, there is a flash of anger there. 
he charges in like a bull. I mean, he's, she's lucky it's a solidly built door. He practically knocks that thing on the hinges as he busts into her office. Mm-hmm. He, he said, you got rid of Jamie? Yelling at her. We've never even heard him raise his voice to Rebecca before, but he's straight up accusatorily screaming in her face. Uh, she tries to kind of play it off. She's kind of put off that she's not seen this side of Ted before that I warned you. Uh, they wanted him back. He went back. I thought I was doing what you wanted. Well, you thought wrong. That one's like, okay, Ted, I get you pissed. You can't talk to me like that. And even Ted goes, all right, I, I know I can't talk to you like that, basically. Yeah, she tells him to leave before he says something he'll regret, which is and tough, boy. When a boss tells you that, you know you're on thin freaking ice. Ted apologizes, but he says, I'm just seeing red everywhere, which is, again, an emotion we've very rarely ever seen out of Ted before. And he angrily leaves, practically just tossing her the biscuits and telling her the hopes he's not they're not as good as they usually are, but he knows they're the best batch yet. He finally broke the recipe. <laughs> he is pissed. Rebecca's just staring at the box. This is not the nature of their relationship previously. May I mean from her perspective, she was probably wondering whether the relationship could ever be returned to what it was. Or he might quit or something. I mean, she doesn't know. I mean, she this is absolutely off the rails abnormal behavior from Ted. So she doesn't know where this is going. That's a great point. Absolutely. We, at the, at the end of the episode, Ted and Beard are, this is a weird scene for the two of them. Cause we've never seen Ted and Beard just so sad. They're not talking or so caught off guard. They're not bantering and doing a degree. It's just the two of them heads down, just sitting next to each other in their office. And who is there to, try to buck them up who is there to reassure them football is life it's danny danny ray of sunshine love that guy he offers in a few words of wisdom in the most danny way possible to ted and beard and though it doesn't break their mood it does reassure them that though the team's unhappy about this the team's struggling with this they're there for them too they are a team still this is something that can be soldiered through even if it looks like it's the darkest moment and this episode ends just having gone up and down like a roller coaster in terms of our emotions on what is a depressing but still aspect of bittersweet moment. Because as Ted said, why he's really pissed is because he finally got through to him. He finally got Jamie to understand what he's trying to do. He finally got Jamie to open up. He finally got Jamie to think for a moment as, the, as a member of the team. To sacrifice for the team. To be honest with the team. This is everything he wanted. This is the moment Jamie needs to truly grow as a player. And now he's cast off to the winds outside of Ted's control, outside of Ted's influence. It's tragic, given how far we know Jamie can now go. But it happened, and all we're left to do now is soldier through. So, recap is done. Hope you enjoyed. There you go. Another A-plus week from Spencer on the recap. As Ted takes down Jamie's jersey, we hear Harmony Hall by Vampire Weekend, another solid... Uh, tune for this episode i think the track the, mm-hmm. the score for this episode um is is up there i mean it might be one of the better ones and it's a lot of deep cuts it's a lot of songs that maybe like the casuals haven't heard before harmony hall very good song i would say check it out um spencer are you ready to move on to our segments i think i am okay let's um i want to do train wreck of the episode first please because i have thoughts on train wreck of the episode um, as I'm you mentioned, it is are. a roller coaster of an episode. A lot of people are get, catching L's and getting W's, and, and they're all over the place. But I'm going to say that the the big loser of the episode for me is Rebecca. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think 
for two reasons. One is because there's this, well, I mean, you got the, the thing with the press, but I mean, you know, that's a separate thing. But you, I think you have this internal conflict where she's starting to question her motivation and, and what she wants to do with this team, which is to sink it to piss off her ex-husband, right? She's starting to realize that that sort of petty motivation is going to affect a lot of people that she kind of likes and starting to like more and more and more. So I think she's got some internal conflict there. Then I think if you have gotten Ted Lasso, the imminent optimist of the fucking world to scream at you over something you've done, uh, you've probably screwed up pretty bad. So the fact that, um, you know, Ted came in, gave her the business. And also, like you pointed out, that we end up in the end of the episode with Rebecca not quite sure where she stands with Ted, her coach. Um, it's, it's a real bad situation. So she caught some L's yeah. this episode. Train wreck of the episode, Rebecca, for me. I'm going to try to make a wrestling reference. And let's see if I butcher it as I do it. Yeah. This seemed like one of the moments of Rebecca had the opportunity to do a heel face turn, and yet she dodged it and didn't embrace it. Yeah, she could have gone baby face. Yeah, for sure. She could have. She had the op- the team was trying to draw her in. She actually seemed engaged in the moment, and as she see the, sees the team celebrate, she instead doubles down on being the heel. It is. It's uh, you know you invite you invite the heel out. You shake hands, the baby face turns to the crowd and cheers, the heel picks up the steel chair and whacks it on the baby's back. Yep. This is that moment. Yep. Did did I get the wrestling term right? Perfect. Absolutely. Nailed it. Uh, I thought I I remembered that correctly. But yeah, I perfectly agree. This is Rebecca's train wreck of the episode moment. In some ways, almost worse than even some of the other ones she's had previously. Okay. Um, Do you want to go to our sports in our top 10? Absolutely. Okay. What do you got? Uh, Can I just do... uh, I got to give one for Roy throwing his blanket in, in, into, into the fire. I, I think more than almost anybody else, because that one caught me off guard. I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not throwing my childhood blanket into that fire. I don't care how much I care about this team. But Roy takes that one with an incredibly memorable story associated with it. In terms of just like, top 10 winners of the episode, that moment right there has got to be a top 10 play. I agree. Um, I'm going to do Roy was sent off when he was, what, nine to go play in Sunderland. Um, mm. If you're like me, you never heard of Sunderland before. Here's a little background on Sunderland. Sunderland is a port city in the main settlement of the metropolitan borough of the city of Sunderland in Tyne and Ware, northeast England. It's situated at the mouth of the River Ware, approximately 16 kilometers, roughly 10 miles, southeast of Newcastle upon Tyne, mm. and roughly 19 kilometers, 12 miles, northeast of the city of Durham. That's right, Durham. <laughs> In London, that Durham. is a point of reference. The city of Durham in London, I, of course, live in Durham, North Carolina. Pretty cool. And, and it also just shows, again, just how far away from home he was. Because Roy was from London, right? He was from yeah, the he's area. from London. He never left from. London before this move. Yeah. This is a big, big haul away, to get away from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's your next entry on the Sports Center tap down? Uh, Schadenfreude. 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 I'm getting the Ted thing now. Schadenfreude. Nine Schadenfreude. Uh, it is, for those who don't know it, a German word. And it's actually a great word. We don't have an equivalent word in <laughs> a lot of those. English. Um, German yeah. has a lot of these where you have a word in German that we don't have a word for. And it's actually a great word to exist. We should have one of these in English because what it, or in English because what it means is the experience of pleasure, joy, or self-satisfaction that particularly comes from learning or witnessing the trouble and failures or humiliation of others. We have seen Schadenfreude. Mm-hmm everywhere in life it is a natural human reaction unfortunately we see it all the time so it's great that the germans made a word for it we don't have a word for it so what does ted do he whoop, he pulls out the german word because we don't have one in english 
it's such a perfect word because it's the it's the embodiment of comedy. The most base level of comedy is guy slips on banana. The feeling of laughter you have at that is Schadenfreude. It's pleasure at another one's misfortune. It's perfect. Next, uh, Sam. Sam's moment with Rebecca is one of the most wow. sports center top moments of the entire damn episode. So freaking it, good. That man, that man revealed a side of himself in that presentation that I wouldn't have thought possible. I want to hire that guy at my law firm for the capability if he has in terms of carrying forth an objective in an organized manner that makes you just feel better about it even as he accomplishes it. He almost made her do the heel to baby face turn, right? It was almost Single-handedly. Sam. Yeah. Um, it, all, go ahead. All the effort that Keeley has made in previously, it was Sam in a two-minute conversation that damn near got her to rewrite her life choices. Okay, I am going to talk a little bit about the Allen Iverson practice rant that Ted co-ops Please in his do. rant to Jamie. So this <laughs> happened on wonderful. May, so this may have happened on May seventh of two thousand two. Uh, what most people know about this is that he says the word practice derisively uh, twenty times during the course of this press conference. Um, Ted is quoting a lot from it directly. Practice, practice. We tell my practice, man. Not a game, not a game. Practice, practice. Um, it's been the butt of jokes for and memes for many, many years. Iverson's heard about this at, at length. He still gets jokes about it now. But what most casual sports fans don't know is that during the course of this press conference, um, it was actually, no one was laughing. It was actually a very serious press conference because Alan Iverson's best friend, um, Rasan Langford, had been murdered earlier in the season. And he was actually going out to explain to the press that he was still troubled by this and he was having trouble um, really committing to the season. And when he was in the process of divulging this and being open and honest with the press, they asked him about the practice, why he was missing practice. And then Iverson erupted because he's like, look, I'm going, like, put it in context, right? I'm going through the death of my best friend who was shot, murdered. I'm having trouble just I'm telling you guys, I'm having trouble like doing my job. And now you're getting on me about practice. Practice, man, practice. So you kind of see why he went the route that he did. It makes it such a fun use in this episode because the focus that Ted has is the complete opposite of what Alan Iverson's intent was behind the speech. Yep. He was in some ways mocking the press for making such a big deal about practice, whereas Ted is emphasizing the importance of practice. And yet both are perfectly justified in how they go about doing this. But if you ever run across Alan Iverson, uh, first off, thank him. Uh, thank him for great years of basketball, very entertaining basketball, but don't ever make the practice joke to him because it actually now, was a very serious press conference for him. Now, as much as it's been memed and mocked, it's if you actually sit down and watch it without all that background, it's a really powerful little speech that he goes into there. It's actually got a lot. It's, it's well done in his part. Yeah, I, I challenge you to watch it because you'd probably at the end of it be like, yeah, why are they ask him about fucking practice? Like, you'd probably be on his side. Uh, do you have any more? No, it's 10, right? I got one more to round out to number 10 with a bullet. Why, and why that do you is always the, do 12 for this? That is the one that I uh, telegraphed earlier in the episode. It is this throwaway line. Do you know J.K. Rowling has more money than the Queen? Okay. You can type mm -hmm. this into Google. You see a bajillion hits. Apparently, this is a thing that people say. It's one of these things that absolutely in life makes me crazy because it's one person said it once based on some limited factoid and it, it just gets repeated and repeated and repeated in the zeitgeist until everyone thinks it's true. Let me right here, Uncle Lee, to all the kids out there, inform you. J.K. Rowling is not more wealthy than the queen. Does she have more money in a bank account right now? Probably. But if the yeah. queen were to liquidate all of the royal assets and if you were to put a price on the, the, what is it, the, the um, Sovereign Wealth Fund, uh, mm -hmm. the, the grant that is passed in the legislation in the yeah, UK where the they, trust they that are in basically you get this like stream of money from taxation. If you were to put a price on 
all of that, it would be astronomically more than what J.K. Rowling's would be in the billions and billions. Now, you can't do that. Why can't you do yeah, that? Because it's royal property. It's never been sold before. It's been part of the royal family's holding. It's never been listed on Zillow. You don't have comps yeah. for this stuff. So you really can't put a price on it. But I can tell you right now, please don't go around repeating this because it's not true. And it makes you look like one of those people who just hears something and repeats it over and over again. No, she is still the monarch of an empire. She has assets that have been inherited down for generations that come attached to this. It's just all caught up in trust and loyalties and duties as a constitutional monarch. But it's still all the royal families. Yeah, I mean, people are just getting caught up in, like, who made more money in a particular year. Well, J.K. Rowling yeah. did. Who has more money in a bank account? But just don't, just don't say it. It's just not true. Entirely um, different categories. I think we can go to our last segment of the episode. Spencer, are you ready for Ted's Life Lessons of the episode? Always and absolutely. Okay, the life lessons this week are going to take on quotes. For, I'm pulling quotes directly from the episode, and then we can, from the quote, infer a life lesson. So I'm going to start with Ted early in the episode. I'm going to bathe myself in work. He doesn't like Barry. Bathe myself in my work. Um, I think this is being um, portrayed to the audience as something that happens when you are going through something emotionally, right? A lot of people do this where they have something that happens to them and it impacts them emotionally, having trouble dealing with it. So what do they do? They're going to bury themselves in their work or a hobby or whatever it is. Yeah. I, it, easy for me to say sitting here, but I'm going to tell you that I, I think the point of Ted unloading this in the way that he does is to kind of tell you that this is not a healthy thing to do. You actually shouldn't just jump into something and stick your head in the sand for the thing that's actually bothering you. You got to kind of take the time to deal with the thing that's bothering you in Ted's case, it would be the divorce, right? So I'm going to quote, I'm going to bathe myself in my work. I think they give it to you as something really a cautionary tale not to do in your life. And I think Ted is also consciously aware of it. Hence why he's telling his friends it. Is it guys, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. And so I'm telling you that just so you're aware and that we're all on the same page as to what's happening right now. I will say that getting your mind off things to a certain degree can be an aspect of healing, but it shouldn't be the entire way you go about it. Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you, I mean, you, you know, Ted could have tweaked this, right? He could have said, yeah, I really just need to, you know, get my mind on work for a little while. Instead, he says, I'm yes. going to bathe myself in my work. I think the implication there is I'm just going to bury my head in the sand. Yes. Uh, second life lesson there. So we got three this week. Second one is, uh, mm. quote, I can believe you can outscore your opponents to lose just like you can score less than them and win. Um, I think if you take anything from any life lessons from Ted, I think even a casual watching the show would probably answer, um, maybe in majorities, if you pulled the, the audience who has watched Ted Lasso, that the thing to take away is that winning and losing is not necessarily about the score. Ted bangs this home over and over again. And I think that um, we really see that here, right? Because Ted got the biggest win he's ever gotten in this show in six episodes. Absolutely. And he got it when no game was played. No, no, no cameras were on. No score was kept. It was just him and the players and a plan. And it went to perfection. That's the biggest W that I think Ted's ever gotten. So, uh, you know, if you're associated with some sort of sport or some sort of job or some sort of something, just realize that um, success is not always measured by um, the wins and losses. And then we go to the final one. Number three, this is the thing Uncle Lee shared with the kids earlier in the episode. Package it up, put it in your back pocket, pull it out for emergencies when you have to break the glass, when something's going on with your best friends. Here it is, the quote, don't worry about it. You've got this. If you don't got this, you just call me right 
couldn't have Absolutely. a better condensed um, representation of what friendship can be uh, than that from one Keely Jones, MVP of the episode, probably. Uh, very strong. There, there have been so many moments in my life where somebody said something similar to me, and good Lord, was it something I needed to hear. That is that is a solid thing that any friend needs to know. Absolutely. So definitely feel free to package that when you use it. So that's it. That's Ted's Life Lessons of the Episode. Spencer, I think we have wrapped up the agenda. Do you have any concluding thoughts about this episode of Ted Lasso? This, I mean, this is our middle episode. This is the episode that gives us the classic point of setting a direction for the series would go. And man, did it pull a change up on us. We, this is a show where I, I kind of assumed that there'd be a constant build where team, uh, Ted slowly builds the team together. They improve a little bit and in the end they triumph. This is one of the episodes that reminds us that no, 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 we're doing this like real life. Life can be two steps forward and one step back as you go. And man, do they give us a hard one of those at the end of this episode. Yeah, they really do. Um, I would say that this is a obviously a mid-season episode. It's a bridge episode. It's mostly about character development and progressing the plot. Um, I would, I don't, this show is too good to say there's a filler episode, but if you, if you were going to try to categorize something as a sort of move it along, get through the season kind of filler episode, this would maybe fit the bill more than others. I wouldn't say it's my favorite uh, episode. Um, It's probably in more than like the middle or bottom of the episodes that we've seen so far. That's not to say it's bad, right? All the, all the episodes are Mm -hmm. good. I'm just trying to rank them. Uh, but I would say that there are some there's some definite moments here that are that are really powerful. And that's what I think we're seeing with this show, right? Is that regardless of what they're trying to do with the episode, maybe it's take all of our favorite characters and throw them into a party. Or maybe it's let's do some serious, you know, character development in this episode. Or maybe let's let's really build and culminate to a match, right? Actual actual soccer match. Whatever they're doing, they can give you powerful moments along the way. And that's what we continue to get week after week. Absolutely. Okay, that's it for episode six of Ted Lasso. We release these every Tuesday. We will be back next week with episode seven. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast because we will be here with you week by week when Ted Lasso returns for season two on Apple Plus in January on July 23rd. So thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. We're having a great time doing this. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, please feel free to write that feedback on your favorite podcast subscription app we read those across all the different platforms or if you want to contact us directly you can go to magnumtalks.com upper right hand corner click contact us fill the form out i'll read it curate it oh tell spencer about it if he needs to know and if it's something that we can bring to the podcast we will do that because we we love to get listener feedback and hear what you guys have to say so thanks a lot for listening we'll be back with you next week for episode seven see you